Uh, as Grant just said, my name is Trevor. Uh, I'm, I'm on staff here at H2O, and of just a few minutes ago, I'm officially a deacon now in the church as well. Um, so that, that's exciting, super exciting. It's so great to be here with all of you. I'm super excited to get to bring the word to you here this morning uh, as well. And to start off our time together uh, here this morning, we're actually going to do some time traveling, okay? Specifically, some time traveling in our minds back to when we were all kids, okay? So I just, wanted to, I just want you to take a moment, right? Close your eyes if you need to, do whatever you need to do. I just want you to, to take a moment just to, like, think back to the time that you, that you were a kid, the time that you were younger. And as we all travel back in our minds, I want you to specifically think about who one of your role models was when you were growing up. Someone that you really like looked up to, someone that you really, really admired. You know, maybe it was a, a certain TV icon, maybe it was a professional athlete, maybe it was a political person if you're into that. Uh, or, or maybe it was someone more local to you. you know, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was an older sibling, maybe it was a teacher or a mentor or something like that. I just want you to think about who one of those standout role models was for you when you were growing up. Right? Personally, I'm a really big baseball guy. Like, I love the game of baseball. Do I have any other baseball people here? All right, a few of us, yeah. All right, cool, 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 cool. Um, well, because I'm such a big baseball guy, one of my role models when I was growing up was the Derek Jeter. Does, any, does anyone know who, who Derek Jeter is? Yeah, some of you? If you're, if you're unfamiliar, there he is, right up here, making an awesome play, got, got the dirt on his pants, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if, you're, if you aren't familiar with Derek Jeter, he was a longtime shortstop for the New York Yankees, uh, and he would regularly make these, like, sensational defensive plays, and he did it with so much style and swagger. Like, he would get up for making this play, and he'd be like, oh my gosh, he's so cool, you know? type of thing like that. And he just had this like raw hustle about him and he just played with all like all his heart. And I, and I just really admired him uh, for that. And I wanted to play the game of baseball like Derek Jeter played the game of baseball. And, and what's funny, I think even subconsciously when I was forming my batting stance, I think that I adopted his. Like I, I didn't realize that till this week. I think I had Derek Jeter's batting stance and I didn't even mean to because he was that much of a role model uh, and that much of an icon to me. And as Christians, many of us have had and continue to have role models in our lives as well that we look up to when it comes to following Jesus, doing ministry, stepping out in boldness, praying, studying the word, or just like living this life in general. Like as Christians, we have role models in our lives. Um, and these role models that we have had or continue to have, right, include Christian friends of ours, pastors, mentors, authors, uh, Christian coworkers, and just people like that which is great. It's, it's really, really great. But it's also important for us to pay attention to the role models we have in the Bible as well, because we have a ton of role models in the Bible, not just focusing in on what the words of the Bible say themselves, because that's super important. We should definitely pay attention to the words of the Bible. But we can also kind of take a step back, and we can kind of see how people did things, right? Like, like, like I, I think of when Jesus was on trial uh, before the high priest, uh, you, may, you may or may not know this. I believe it's either in John 17 or John 18. Um, Jesus is on trial, and the servant of the high priest comes up and strikes him on the face. He sucker punches Jesus in that moment. And what does Jesus do? He just says, if I, said, if I said something wrong, sure, hit me. But if not, why'd you strike me? What Jesus could have done would be like, bam, smited. Right? But he didn't. So, so, like, in that moment, we're not just looking at, like, what Jesus said. We're also looking at the example that he gave us, right? To not, to not repay with revenge, right? To not repay with violence. So we have role models in the Bible as well. And we have a ton. Moses, Elijah, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary of Bethany, John the Baptist, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. And, and really, again, most notably, Jesus Christ himself, right? And, and Jesus is much more than just a role model, he, he's primarily our savior and our king, but he's also an awesome role model for us as well. And in the passage of Romans we're going to be looking at uh, together this morning as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Romans, we're going to be looking in depth at the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the, the Apostle Paul is a very, very significant role model for us uh, as Christians. And he's going to give us some real good insight into some of the ways he did ministry, how he cared for people, 
and how he followed Jesus. And this is really significant because by God's grace, the Apostle Paul had a super powerful, super effective, and super fruitful ministry. Like he was going all through like the Middle East, what we know today is kind of like the, the region around the, the Mediterranean Sea in Jerusalem and Italy and, and Rome and those places. He just had such an effective and powerful mission. So we're going to see some of what is included in powerful gospel mission today, which I'm, I'm really excited to get into with you. Uh, but before we go any farther, I just want us to all go to God in prayer, right? Really inviting, really welcoming his presence here with us today and really asking him to move in power in us all and through us all this morning. Okay, so we're going to go to God in prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Father God, God, we just acknowledge your presence here in this place. God, we invite, we welcome your presence here with us, God. God, we don't want to talk about you, God, like you're not in the room. God, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, God, we invite you in. God, we welcome you. And God, we thank you, God, that it is your delight to be here with us today. God, just as your scriptures say, even where two or three gather, there you are with them. And God, thank you that you are here with us today. Father God, I come to you, God, just as a, as a simple man of the dust, God, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would move in power in me and through me today and in these hearts and souls in this room. And Father God, we just pray, pray, God, do what only you can do. And God, let the words I say, God, be of you. God, because you're so, so good. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So before we dive into the main biblical passage that we're going to be looking at together this morning, uh, I have an important bit of truth that I need to give you, okay? And, it, and it's a simple bit of truth, but, but a very important bit of truth nonetheless, and it's this. Every Christian is called to be a full-time missionary. Every Christian, everyone, every single one, all, if you are a Christian here today, myself and you, Every Christian is called to be a full-time missionary. Whether your vocation is that of a ministry staff person like me, or whether you're a student, or whether you're a doctor, whether you're a Twitch streamer, whether you're a fast food worker, whether you're an engineer, a nurse, a teacher, like a business person, whatever you are, whatever your job is, if you are a Christian, then you are personally called to be a full-time missionary. And you aren't just called to be a full-time missionary someday, you're called to be a full-time missionary today and the next day, and the next day, and the day after that, and so on. Every day, we're called to be full-time missionaries. And when I say that every Christian is called to be a full-time missionary, that doesn't mean that if you are, or if you're studying to be a teacher, or a doctor, or a nurse, or an engineer, or something like that, that you have to just abandon everything, and just quit, quit your job, and just become a, a vocational ministry. That's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You don't have to do that unless God personally calls you to do that. Okay? And, and I encourage all of you, right, just give it a shot. At least go to God and pray. Say, God, is this something that you would have me do? And put your willingness out there. Okay? He, he, he calls some of us to do that. He, he calls others of us not to do that. And that's fine. Right? But I encourage all of you to at least go to God and pray um, and ask him that. And if his answer is yes, to be obedient to that. Because his, his ways and his plans for us are always good, always right, always best, and always true. But when I say that every Christian is to be a full-time missionary, what I'm saying is that every Christian is called to and commanded to be a missionary in any and every area of life. To bring the gospel of God, to bring the spirit of God, to bring the hope of Christ, to bring God's kingdom come with you wherever you are. Whether that's in your classes, whether that's at work, with your friends, with your family, with your roommates or your housemates in your neighborhood, to those in need, like the homeless, the addicted, and the oppressed, and even within your own church community, right? Even within, your, even within your own church community. And I say that even within our own church community, because when I say that every Christian is called to be a missionary, that certainly includes evangelism and outreach, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, sharing the gospel of Christ. That's a huge part of being a missionary, but not the only part. It's also important for us as Christians, guess what, to invest in each other, to love each other, to care for each other, to build up each other, right? That's the way it should be. And the existence, like understand this, the existence of the book of Romans, 
the existence of the books of uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Corinthians and First and Second Thessalonians and, and all these different books, the, the book of Galatians is an example of Paul investing in believers. But do you understand all, all those books are letters that Paul sent to groups of believers? So as missionaries, yes, we do evangelism, we do outreach, we share the gospel, we bring the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope of Jesus Christ, but we also invest in each other as well, both, right, both, okay? So every Christian is called to be a full-time missionary. Charles Spurgeon, who's a very prominent um, and, and very wise preacher in England in the 1800s, once said this, you'll see it up here. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Ooh. Ooh, right? Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And it's so true. We're all called to be missionaries. And because our main passage of scripture from Romans today is so dense, I don't have time to get into the scriptural support and the scriptural backing for this truth. But if you'd like to talk to me about it, please come up to me after the service or text me, call me, do something like that. And I'll share that scriptural support and that scriptural backing with you, okay? And the reason I take the time to bring this truth up to you is so that you'll see that everything we're about to go over today, because again, I said we're going to highlight some, some things that are really included in powerful gospel mission. And the reason I bring up all this stuff to you is so that you'll see that everything we're about to talk about is relevant to you, relevant to me, and relevant for all Christians, okay? And know that it's not, that, it's not just that we have to be missionaries, but that we get to be missionaries. We get to bring God's kingdom come. We get to bring the gospel to people, right? And that's so, so powerful. Now, with all that said, let's jump into our main passage of scripture for this, uh, for this morning from the book of Romans to see what powerful gospel mission includes from our, from our role model of the day, the Apostle Paul. The main passage of scripture we're going to be in is Romans 15, 14 through 19. Okay, Romans 15, 14 through 19. I'll let you turn there. I personally am going to be reading from the New International Version. It'll be up here on, on the screen behind me as well. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and says this, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way down to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So there is a lot of really good and really practical content packed into this passage that we're going to unpack this morning. And remember, throughout this passage, we're going to be identifying and highlighting a, few, a, a number of different things that are included in powerful gospel mission. All right? And from this passage, the first thing that I see that powerful gospel mission includes is the ministry of encouragement. The ministry of encouragement. In Romans 15, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, to, again, to the Roman Christians, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So we see here in this verse, the Apostle Paul is very clearly and very directly giving words of encouragement to these Christians in Rome, right? I think it's, it's, it's very clear. He says, I am convinced, my brothers and sisters, you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And I don't know about you, this is one heck of an encouragement, right? Like, like if someone were to come up to me and they're like, Trev, I just, I'm just so convinced you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct others. I'd be like, ah. Wow, oh, thanks. Right, you know, like, I would, I would be, I, would, I don't know what I would even say there. I'd probably go, like, awkward taco type of Trev, right? But I do know I would be really inspired and really encouraged if someone said that to me, right? Encouragement is such a life-giving 
enjoy producing an inspiring thing for the soul. It, it really, really is. And the, the ministry of encouragement is such a powerful ministry, but honestly, it can sometimes be neglected, forgotten about, and underprioritized when it comes to, to ministering to each other. Right? But as Christians, we should be people who encourage each other a ton and encourage each other often because of how life-giving and inspiring and joy-producing it is. And you know why else? Because in heaven, that's a bad spot. In heaven, I think there's a lot of encouragement there. I think when we see each other in heaven, I think there's going to be a lot of encouragement there. And what did Jesus pray? He said, Father God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So as Christians on earth right now, let's be people who encourage each other, who are committed to encouraging each other and building each other up. And the ministry of encouragement is also so, so important because discouragement is all around us in this life. Right? The spiritual enemy the devil and all of his devilish minions, they're, they're pros at discouragement, right? And a spiritual enemy wants nothing more than to discourage us and tear us down and steal from us the peace and joy and freedom and gladness and life and security and identity that are ours in Christ Jesus. The enemy so passionately wants to steal that from us, wants to tear us down. Jesus in John 10.10 himself says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Right? And the devil is specifically referred to as the accuser in the book of Revelation. And we see the devil throwing accusation and discouragement and darkness towards God people all throughout the Bible. In addition to the, to the discouragement that comes from the spiritual enemy, the broken state of our flesh, an expert at discouragement. And in addition to that, the world around us, right? Discouragement left and right. Right? There's so much discouragement around us and in this life. And it can be so easy to get down on ourselves, to get discouraged, and to, to get depressed in this life. And because of that, it is so important, it is super important that all of us as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are actively walking in the ministry of encouragement like the Apostle Paul did. Right? This isn't just something that, oh yeah, you could do, you can kind of keep in your back pocket. No, brothers and sisters, this is such, an, such a powerful ministry, the ministry of encouragement. Because you know, when we encourage each other, what we're doing, all, we have this, this darkness, this discouragement coming towards us. And when we give encouragement, guess what? We're pushing it back. We're not just going to be here in the fetal position just waiting for it to pass. We're going to step up and we're going to push it back, right? And not just for ourselves, but for each other, right? If, if, if one of you were up here on stage right now just getting just, just, just wailed on physically, right, would we just sit there and watch? Like, oh, man, that sucks. Ooh, man, God, that's not me. No, would we be people that go and we would do something about it? We would stick up for our brother and sister, right? Well, that's what's happening spiritually, right? Spiritually, we're getting this discouragement, this darkness, all this kind of stuff. So let's be people who encourage each other, push back that darkness, push back that discouragement, right? And build each other up, right? Because again, as Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came that we may have life and have it to the full, right? And guess what? Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants what he paid for. Let's say you went to McDonald's, right, and you got two McChickens. That's what I get, right? And you pay for it, and you get around to the, the, the pickup window, and they're like, okay, have a nice day. See ya. You'd be like, where's my, where's my McChickens? <laughs> right? Like I, pay, I just paid two bucks, like inflation, probably five bucks for, for, for McChickens. Like, give, give me my McChickens. I'm about to smash a McChicken, Right? We'd be like, no, well, this is it. Jesus has paid a huge price for us, right? And he wants what he paid for, right? And what he paid for is that we would live lives full of peace and joy and gladness and freedom, right? And when we walk in the ministry of encouragement, we're going to help each other to give Jesus what he paid for. So let's be people who are actively looking for ways to encourage one another and actively looking for ways to build one another up. Um, and I got into this a little bit, but the ministry of encouragement isn't just something that we, we, we can do if we want to. We're actually biblically commanded to give each other encouragement. 
In Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, the author of Hebrews uh, says this. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Right there, you clearly see encouraging one another. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, the Apostle Paul is again writing here, and he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So we see here, he's not saying, hey, you know, if, if, you, if you have time, if you feel like it, throw some encouragement, you know, my way or something, or, or, or to, to your brothers and sisters. He says, no, walk in this. Walk in this. Um, and again, as I said earlier with the thing about being missionaries, th- this command isn't just something that we have to follow. It's something that we get to follow. We get to speak life and goodness and truth into each other's lives, right? We get to see each other rise up from the ashes and conquer darkness, conquer death, conquer discouragement. Don't you want that? Like, don't, don't you want that? Right? And it's just our obedience to the simple, the simple things. And a mentor of mine once spoke something into my life that I'm never going to forget. And he challenged me and challenged how I view people with a simple phrase. And the phrase was this. Find the gold in people. Find the gold in people. Has anyone ever heard this phrase before? Some of you? Yeah? So the concept of finding the gold in people is about finding and calling out the good things and the godly things that we see in the lives of others. Finding and calling out the good things and the godly things that we see in the lives of others. You see, people are usually really good, really, really good, even experts at calling out the not-so-good things in people. Right? Really, really good at that. But finding the gold in people is about finding and calling out the good things, focusing on the good things. And you know what? People may have dirt in their lives. Right? They may have areas of, of, of weak character. Right? They may have a habit they're trying to break. They may have an area of struggle in their life. But everyone, and I mean everyone, has gold in their life. Even your worst enemy has gold in his or her life. I promise you. And the problem is, it seems like the dirt is what we get so focused on. The dirt is what we get so focused on when we look at people. It seems that we're oftentimes so quick to become judgmental, so quick to become destructively critical, or to become hard-hearted towards people, or to even separate ourselves from others. Why? Because we focus on the dirt in people. We focus on the not-so-good things in people. So many people in this world just focus on the dirt. And we may be tempted to do the same. And maybe we're, we've even been guilty of doing the same. But here this morning, here this morning, let's commit to repenting of that. Let's commit to repenting of focusing on the dirt and commit to actively walking and finding the gold in people. Commit to actively walking in the ministry of encouragement. How's that sound? Wouldn't that be nice? Because just think, uh, you, know, you may have dirt in your life. What do you want someone to pay attention to? You want, you want them to pay attention to the dirt? Or do you want to call out the gold? Right? Let's be people who call out the gold. And, and with that, just real quick, I, I, I want to tell you, there's a difference between focusing on the dirt and helping someone out of the ashes. Right? You know, if, if I see, if I see a, a, a struggle in character in someone, like, I can go to them and I can address them about that. I can talk to them about that. I can help them walk through that with scriptural encouragement, right? But helping someone rise up from the dirt, helping someone rise up from the ashes is different than focusing on the dirt, right? So I'm not telling you just to, just to act like things are all puppies and rainbows, because it's not, right? So just, like, re- remember that as well. Let's be people who walk in obedience to these biblical commands. And I want to specifically, going back to uh, Romans 15, 14, I want to specifically point out to you that Paul's encouragement of the Roman Christians was based in, saturated with, and inspired by the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Um, put, putting uh, Romans 15, 14 back up there, he specifically tells them that they are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. But guess what? The Roman Christians weren't full of goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another because they were awesome people. 
That's, that's, that's not why they were any of these things. That rather, they were filled with goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another because of the Holy Spirit. That was the only reason that they were full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Back in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul was writing about his own spiritual journey. And he says in verse 18 of Romans 7 that nothing good naturally dwelled in him and in his flesh. That nothing good dwelled in him. And guess what? Nothing good naturally dwelled in the Roman Christians either. It was just because the Holy Spirit was in them. It was just because the Holy Spirit had filled them and was filling them with goodness and knowledge and and competency to instruct one another. And the Roman Christians knew that. So when we see here in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul telling them that they're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another, he's specifically giving them an encouragement that is inspired by the Word of God. And the Roman Christians would have known that. And guess what? We should strive to do the same with our ministry of encouragement. Don't, don't limit your encouragement to just external things. Like, hey, I like your hair, nice smile, cool shoes, right? Like, you, you can, hear me, you can and you definitely should encourage people in that. If someone has rocking hair, tell them, right? If they have the coolest shoes, like, ever, tell them, <laughs> right? If they, if they just got, like, style, like, none other, tell them, right? But don't limit it to that, okay? Get down into the soul level stuff, too. Get down into the deep truth stuff, too. Encourage people in their identity in Christ Jesus. Encourage people in their worth in Christ Jesus. Encourage people in what God thinks about them and what God says about them in his word. Encourage people with the promises of God in the scriptures. Encourage people in the things that you know God loves about them specifically. Maybe it's their commitment to the truth. Maybe it's their humility. Maybe it's their servant heart. Maybe it's their love for Jesus, their passion for people, their knowledge of the scriptures, their memorization of the scriptures. Whatever it is, call out and encourage them in what you know God loves loves about them. I just want to even just like pray and like ask the Holy Spirit just to help us to do this. Holy Spirit, I I just pray you would give us your eyes, your heart, and your mind to find the gold and to call out the gold in each other. Give us the boldness and the eyes and the love for others to do this. Amen. All right. I know I'm talking about this a lot, but this is so, so so important. I know that this point of the ministry of encouragement was something that I wanted to bring up because of how good and how powerful it was. But there was another reason, too. Another reason I wanted to bring this up and to really highlight on this is because there have been times I've seen the exact opposite of the ministry of encouragement in our church. There have been times I've seen the exact opposite of the ministry of encouragement in our church. Instead of the powerful ministry of encouragement, there have been times I've seen very destructive, very toxic, and very selfish and very judgmental language spoken, both directly to people and behind people's backs as well, in gossip and bitterness. And I want to use this opportunity to call out those things and to cast out those things in the name of Jesus and in the biblical authority of Jesus. To call out those things and to cast out those things. And brothers and sisters, I call out these things and I bring these things up to you because I love you and because I care for you so much and because I'm honestly so moved by all of you too. When I look out over you, when I talk with you, when I hear about how God is working in your life, when I hear about how you're stepping out in boldness in your faith, how you're trying to worship God with all of your life, I am truly so moved and so inspired by all of you. I'm so proud of all of you. And that is why I bring these things up to you. Because I just want to call you even higher. I just want to help you to go even higher into righteousness and holiness and godliness and love. So let's be people who cast off any kind of unwholesome talk to take up the ministry of encouragement. This very much includes the destructive, toxic, and judgmental language that is played off as just a joke as well. There's no place for any of those things in the life of a, fel- of a follower of Jesus and in any body of believers. And when it comes to the jokes, I know that some of you may be thinking to yourself, Trev, come on, they're just jokes, let it slide, that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal because we see in the scriptures that God viewed it as important enough to speak directly about in his word. God speaks 
very directly about this at the end of Ephesians 4 and the beginning of Ephesians 5. It'll be up on the screens behind me. This is the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians. And he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. These scriptures speak very directly into the inappropriateness of any unwholesome, destructive, or toxic language. Let's cast it off and take up the ministry of encouragement. And as I close on this point, before we move on, what would happen if we started actively encouraging one another more and more? What would it look like if we started actively encouraging one another more and more in our friendships, in our life groups, in our romantic relationships, and here on Sunday mornings? What would happen? What would that look like? I think that's some really awesome fruit, some really awesome growth, some really awesome freedom, and some really awesome culture in our community would happen. And I want to commit to that, if you'll commit to that with me. With that said, let's keep moving through our Romans 15 passage. When we look at the next verse in our Romans 15 passage, Romans 15, 15, we see that powerful gospel mission also includes boldly reminding ourselves and reminding others of the foundational gospel truths. Boldly reminding ourselves and reminding others of the foundational gospel truths. After the Apostle Paul encourages the Romans, Um, in verse 14, he goes on in verse 15 and part of verse 16 saying, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Here in Romans 15, 15 and part of 16, the Apostle Paul is kind of recapping this letter that he's writing to the Romans. And And he tells them that he intentionally wrote to them very boldly and very emphatically on some points to remind them of certain points. And when I read through the book of Romans, I see that these points that the Apostle Paul boldly wrote to them about were a number of the deep foundational Christian truths. These are are the things. The deep foundational Christian truths are those points that he's talking about, that he he wrote to them boldly about. Let me show you this from the book of Romans. In Romans 3.23, it says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. In Romans 5, 8, that even in our sins, shortcomings, even while we were still sinners, God still loved us so much that Jesus Christ died for us. In Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that there are more than conquerors through Christ. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Like you see, when you do kind of like a summary, when you do kind of like a read through Romans, you see these points that he's boldly talking to them about are the foundational Christian truths. So, so powerful gospel mission certainly includes reminding ourselves and reminding others of the foundational gospel truths. And you see, as humans, we are very forgetful beings, right? We forget about the laundry. We forget per- someone's name when we're talking to them. We forget our train of thought, right? We forget the due date of a certain assignment. We forget where we put a certain belonging of ours. Like, as humans, we are such forgetful beings. Just on Thursday, I forgot where I parked my car, and, and Livy had to help me find my car after life group. I, c- I could not remember for the life of me where I put my car. Right? But we found it. Don't worry. Because we are such forgetful beings, it's so important that we are continuously and consistently reminding ourselves and reminding others of the foundational truths of God so that we don't forget them. Because it's so important that these truths remain on our hearts and remain on our souls consistently. Reminding ourselves of the truth that God loves us, that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is sovereign, that God can do all things, that God works everything together for our good, that he is there for us. All these foundational gospel truths. And you know what? I, I've, I've, I've seriously been following Jesus now for seven years. I'm on staff at a church. I'm now a deacon at a church. And guess what? The things that move me the most are these truths. The things that move me and stir me the most are these same simple truths. That 
God loves me, that God is for me, that God is with me, that God is sovereign, that God can do all things. So I'm, brothers and sisters, I'm seven years in, and I'm still coming back to this. And it's still just this spring of life and encouragement and goodness. And I want the same for you. Reminding yourselves and reminding others of these truths. And I specifically refer to these truths as foundational because it's on these things that everything else is built and everything else flows. If these things are missing, everything else is going to crumble. Right? Everything else is going to crumble. This building that we're in, Probasco Auditorium, you know, it, it was just recently renovated, just recently restored, and that's why we're here. It's such a blessing to us. But, you know, when they started the renovation, one of the first things they would have done was to go down into the basement and to check the foundation. Because they knew that if they tried to do any of this with a weak foundation, it would just fall, right? And it would all be gone. Similarly, for us as Christians, we need to go down into the foundations regularly, even daily, to make sure our foundation is strong and firm and reliable. Because again, we have an enemy and we have a world around us that, when it comes, that wants to come and steal it away wants to come and tell us something different. But guess what? We need to go down and push back that darkness, push back that discouragement, and remind ourselves and remind each other of those foundational Christian truths. Right? Amen? Moving on. In verse 16 in our Romans 15 passage, we see that powerful gospel mission also includes the proclamation of the gospel of God to the lost powerful gospel mission also includes the proclamation of the gospel of God to the lost. After the Apostle Paul talks about how he boldly reminded them of those foundational truths in this letter, he goes on saying, God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that God gave him the duty to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost world so that people who once were far away from God could be brought near. Simply put, and brothers and sisters, we have the same call on our lives today. Jesus Christ himself and the apostle ball got the ball rolling. They started the ball. But guess what? The torch and the responsibility has now been given to us today to carry that on. The responsibility has given, been given to us and to all Christians today to pursue the lost and the broken world with the good news of Jesus. The good, good news that even though all people, including us, are guilty of sinning against a perfect and holy God, and even though all people, including all of us, have fallen short of the glory and the goodness and the perfection of God, and even though all of us rightfully and justly deserve eternal death, eternal condemnation, and eternal separation from that good and perfect and holy God because of our many sins, God loves us so much that he gave up his son that he gave up his son. Jesus Christ, who existed in heaven with God the Father since the very beginning, even before the very beginning, Jesus existed e like eternally in the past. Jesus didn't just start in Bethlehem. Jesus, Jesus was on his throne in heaven, and because he sees this problem that we're in with sin and death and separation from God, what does he do? He dethrones himself. Do you understand that? He dethroned himself to come and to be born as a baby. To subject himself to weakness and to temptation. To struggle. Right? And Jesus comes, and he's a less than ordinary man. Go read Isaiah 53. You'll see the kind of sacrifice that he made for you. That there was, that it, Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nothing attractive about him. And he was the king of heaven, the king of glory. But Jesus comes in humility. And for 33 long years, what's he, what does he do? He just teaches people and heals people and cares for people and loves people and shows compassion to people. I was just reading in, in Mark recently that people said he does everything well. And it was true. He did everything well. For 33 years, longer than many of us have been alive, Jesus was here going through that. And over the course of those 33 years, not only did he teach and love and all those kinds of things, he stayed sinless. He stayed perfectly obedient, perfectly pure, perfectly good, perfectly innocent. And Jesus wasn't just innocent, he was the best man who ever lived. 
Who's the best man who ever lived? But you know what? Because he loves you and I so much, at the end of those 33 years, Jesus became the embodiment of our sins. That's what what happened in the gospel. He literally became the embodiment of our sins. He became the curse for us. And in that moment, God the Father opened up the heavens and released his anger and released his wrath against Jesus. And not not because of Jesus' own sins, because he didn't have any, but because he was carrying ours. Because he took those dirty rags that were on us, took it off of us, put it on himself, right? And the wrath of God and the anger of God and the punishment of God took the form of Jews who brought Jesus before them and they said, crucify him. Kill that man a high priest who comes and sucker punches Jesus. And do you realize this guy, this high priest, the Bible says that he was a shadow of the real things in heaven. And guess what? When that high priest did that, he had just sucker punched the great high priest that he was representing. And Jesus still didn't do anything. He said, if I said something wrong, hit me. But if not, why did you strike me? He was the great high priest. That man was nothing, and he struck Jesus. Jesus came, and he was beaten within an inch of his life, humiliated, stripped naked. A passerby just walked by Jesus' hurting and bleeding body, and they they just looked with disgust and kept going. And ultimately, Jesus has to carry his own cross to Golgotha, and he is crucified. Nails probably this big, driven right here through his wrists and through his ankles, where he would have to push up on those things to breathe and slide back down to exhale. Push up to breathe, slide back down to exhale for six hours. Why? Because of love. Because he loves us so much. And Jesus ultimately dying there on that cross, but it doesn't end there, right? Jesus dies on a Friday afternoon, but the Sunday morning when everything was still so still, so silent in the tomb of Jesus, what happens? Like, think about being there in that moment where Jesus' body is there and it goes, and it happens again. And eventually Jesus stands up. And our victory was in his hand. He rolls away the tomb and he says, nothing is going to keep me down. Because he loves us so much. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel right there. That's why we gather here, right? And we have been given the honor and the privilege to go to a world that is starving, a, a world that is starving to know that they are loved that they are cared for, that they are valued, that they are seen. And they need to know that there was a king who dethroned himself, came so far, and to die for them. That's what they need, right? We must do this. We must take the gospel of God to a broken world, and a world who needs it. And we must. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's the kind of way Jesus made up, made. He said, if you call on me, you can come. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Brothers and sisters, let's all be missionaries who unapologetically take the gospel wherever we are. be people who go out and reap the harvest as we proclaim the good, good news of Jesus. Because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. So let's go get it. Let's go get it. And there's something very significant that I need to point out to you all on this point of the gospel of Jesus. And it comes from verse 19 in chapters, in Romans chapter 15. So we're going to jump down a little bit and then come back up. About halfway through Romans 15, 19, the apostle Paul writes to the Romans telling them that he has fully proclaimed the gospel. He says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And what I want to point out to you is that Paul writes, he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You see, there are false gospels out there in the world, including but not limited to the prosperity gospel. That God wants to give us health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not true. 
That's, that's false gospel. Jesus didn't have a house. The first followers of Jesus martyred. It's not a prosperity gospel. Our riches are in heaven. The worldview that just being a good person will get you into heaven and into intimacy with God someday, that's a false gospel. And any and all kinds of works-based salvation worldviews are all false gospels. And it's also possible to proclaim an incomplete or, an, or a partial gospel as well, which is just as dangerous. I don't want any of you to believe in or to proclaim an incomplete or a partial gospel. That's why I'm intentionally bringing this up to you. We are to believe in and to proclaim the full gospel of Christ. And what I commonly hear left off the gospel of Christ are two things. One, repentance of sins. And two, personally committing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, in order to truly become a Christian, in order to truly become a child of God, three things need to happen. One, repentance of sins. Two, placing your faith in Jesus and in his saving work. And three, personally committing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In order to become a Christian, in order to truly become a Christian, all three of these things are necessary. Right? Jesus, Jesus is not just Savior. Jesus is Savior and King. I'll say that again. Jesus is not just Savior. He is Savior and King. And Jesus is either both Savior and King to someone, or he is nothing at all. Jesus is either both Savior and King to someone, or he is nothing at all. And I'm going to quickly show you these things from the Word of God. First, the importance of, of repentance of sins. In Hebrews 10, 26-27, says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So this scripture makes it very, very clear that the, the repentance of sins is necessary. We cannot claim to be Christians while living in unrepentant sin because unrepentant sin is unforgiven sin. Unrepentant sin is unforgiven sin. And in addition to this, in 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul writes this. He says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So this scripture again shows us the importance of repentance of sins if someone truly desires to be a Christian. And let me be clear. There's a big, big difference between struggling with sin and having unrepentant sin in your life. So I know for some of you, you're really struggling to, struggling to get free from certain sins in your life as you go through this uh, sanctification from the Holy Spirit. I know that some of you are really struggling with sins such as sexual sins or judging others or unwholesome talk and other things. And hear me when I say this. There's a big, big difference between struggling with sin and living in unrepentant sin. The question is if someone has a repentant heart or not, not if they have successfully become sinless. So it's looking at the heart of the matter here. Next, I want to show you some scriptural support for the importance of not just placing our faith in Jesus as Savior, but also personally committing to follow him as king. In Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says this, if you, declare with Jesus, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So here we see, look, Jesus is Lord. And not just saying that, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, and then just going and doing whatever you want. It's your heart saying that, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And in Mark 1, 16 through 18, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now once they left their nets and followed him. And you see here in Mark 1, 16 through 18, that Jesus didn't come to, to, to Peter and Andrew and say, oh, will you just believe in me? Will you believe in me? Will you intellectually align with me? What was the offer? Follow me. That's what being a Christian, that's the actual definition of a Christian. Someone who follows Christ. Right? So it's not just being like, oh yeah, Jesus has forgiven my sins. I can go live my life however I want. No. If someone really wants to become a Christian, really wants to follow Jesus, they must repent of their sins, place their faith in the saving work of Jesus, and personally commit to following him as king. And it's all grace. None of it is works-based. 
that Jesus is not just our Savior, he is also our King. There's also another element of the full gospel of Jesus Christ as well. This, this element of, of repenting of sins and placing our, our faith in Jesus and, and personally committing to following him as king is one part. There's another element. Also, when, when we proclaim the full gospel of Christ, it's not just proclaiming what Jesus has delivered us from, not just what Jesus has rescued us from, but also what he has brought us into. Right? Not just what Jesus has delivered us from, but what Jesus has brought us into. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, this is, this is the scripture that taught me this personally. It says this, this is Paul writing again. He says, for he has, he being God the Father, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you see here in this verse how the scriptures talk about not just what we have been delivered from, it says we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness, but also brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Right? The full gospel there. The full picture there. And this is another element of believing in and proclaiming the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing in and proclaiming that we haven't just been delivered from hell, but also we have been made children of God. We have been brought into intimacy with God. We have been made citizens of heaven, that we have an eternal inheritance in heaven waiting for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. All these things, not just what we have been delivered from, but also what we have been brought into through Christ Jesus, right? Because it's when we, when we proclaim, yeah, yes, we will worship Jesus, we will praise Jesus for what he has delivered us from, but there will be even more praise on the other side of also preaching what we have been brought into, right? And that is why as Christians, we can go out those doors and people look at us and the amount of peace, the amount of joy, the amount of gladness that we have, they're like, holy cow, like, what is, what is up with them? And it's because we know not just what we have been delivered from, but what we've been brought into through Christ Jesus. And again, Jesus wants what he paid for. Let's give it to him. Jesus, Jesus died and paid a huge price. He would be full of joy, full of peace, full of gladness, full of freedom. Okay? I have one more thing to share with you before we wrap up today. With the time remaining this morning, there's one, one more kind of combo thing that we see from Paul's example in Romans 15 that is included in powerful gospel mission. And that is, the powerful gospel mission includes relying on the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's work and praising Jesus when God's work is done. Relying on the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's work and praising Jesus when God's work is done. In Romans 15, 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God but what I, by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So here in this passage, we clearly see Paul relying on the Spirit to accomplish God's work and praising Jesus, giving all credit to Jesus for when that work is done. Because we have a responsibility. He says, yes, there were things that I said, things that I did, but guess what? It was, it was, it was Jesus working through, through me, right? So it's us partnering with Jesus to do this. But Jesus gets all the glory. Jesus gets all the credit, Okay. When Paul says right there at the beginning in, in verse 17, when he says that he glories in Christ Jesus, like when I read this, I'm like, what the heck? What, 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 what does that even mean? What do you, what do you, you, you glory in this? What he's saying there is that he is boasting in Christ Jesus. Or in other words, he is celebrating and he is praising Jesus. He's giving all the credit. He's giving all the glory to Jesus. That's what he means when he says, I glory in Christ Jesus. I give him the glory. I boast in him and what he has accomplished through me when he says that. Brothers and sisters, none of us in and of ourselves have the power to change a human heart. Only God has the power to do that. Only God has the power to change the human heart, whether that is leading someone into personal faith in Jesus or whether that is helping someone to grow in their relationship with God. Only God has the power to change the human heart. So let's be people who rely on him and not on ourselves. And when the mission work happens, when people come to know Jesus through your ministry, when people come to grow in Jesus through your ministry, let's be people who not just glory in ourselves, but glory in Christ. Because Philippians 2.13 says that, that, it, that it is him who has caused us to will and to act according to fulfill every good purpose. It's him. It's all him. It's 
all him and giving all credit to Jesus Christ. And just real quick, I want to give you some practical steps of what it looks like to rely on the Holy Spirit and gospel mission. All right, first thing, earnestly praying and interceding, asking the Holy Spirit to move. Right, the scriptures say if we, if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. Praying, asking the Holy Spirit to move in the hearts and the lives of, of, of us and, and of others. So, so earnestly praying and interceding. Next, being personally sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When God gave us his spirit, it was for him to renew us, and to help us to understand the truth in these things, but also to lead us through this life. Whether it's our own personal life or whether it's our ministry. So being personally sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is like slowing down, stepping back, and listening. Guess what? You haven't been thinking about your bottom sitting in that pew until now. That's now it's probably the only thing you can think about, right? But, but you know what? And this is a silly example, but, it's, but it gets my point across. Your, the, the nerves in your bottom, they've been, they've been sending signals to your brain this entire time, saying, hey, you're sitting in the chair, you're sitting in the chair, you're sitting in the chair, you're sitting in the chair. But guess what? You weren't listening to it until you paid attention to it. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah? Silly, but it gets my point across. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, speaking to you, speaking to you, speaking to you, but you don't hear it until you pay attention to it. You don't, you don't hear it until you slow down, step back, be still, not just externally, but internally, and really listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. This might, this might feel like an impression on your heart, right? It might, it might be through a, a thought you didn't think, right? Or it may just be in, in, in general like nudging from the Holy Spirit, but really being personally sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Third, grounding and rooting your mission in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the, wrote the Bible, right, through, through men. So grounding and rooting our mission in the Word of God. And lastly, cultivating personal intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Really, like, taking that time to listen to the Holy Spirit, coming to understand the Holy Spirit in the Word, coming to read the Word, right? Because, like, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all share the same heart. They're all loving and kind and personal and relational, all, all these kinds of things, right? So go and learn about them in the scriptures. So in review, as we close today, we see from the Apostle Paul's example for us in Romans 15, 14 through 19, that powerful gospel mission includes, one, the ministry of encouragement, finding and calling out the golden people, seeking to give people that soul-level encouragement that is inspired by the gospel of Christ and the word of God. And this means that you, that you need to be a student of the word of God so that you have ammunition, that you have that you have your arsenal of encouragement to give from the word of God. Repenting from any and all unwholesome, destructive, toxic, or judgmental language. Next, boldly reminding ourselves and reminding others of the foundational gospel truths over and over and over and over. That God loves us, God is for us, God is with us, God is sovereign, he can do all things. And that he's working all things together for our good. Third, the proclamation of the gospel of God to the lost. And proclaiming the full gospel of Jesus Christ. That if someone wants to become a Christian, they must repent of their sins, place their faith in Jesus, and personally commit to following Jesus as king. And proclaiming not just what Jesus has delivered us from, but what Jesus has brought us into as well. And finally, powerful gospel mission, as we see in this passage, includes relying on the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's work and praising Jesus. Giving credit to Jesus when God's work is done, because it is Jesus working through us. And there are additional things that are included in powerful gospel mission that the Apostle Paul didn't get into in this passage. And that's okay. Certain things like love, listening to others well, cross-pollination and other things like that. But these things we highlighted today from the Apostle Paul's example in Romans 15 will definitely get you started as you, all of you, live your lives as full-time Christian missionaries in whatever context you find yourself. So let me pray over us again. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, we thank you so much for everything that you are. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you dethroned yourself in heaven and you came here to rescue us and to redeem us and to restore us. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, that you're such a good king, such an amazing king. And Jesus, thank you for giving us a role model in yourself, but also a savior in yourself, 
and also a good king in yourself and for also giving us so many role models in the scriptures as well. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to not just hear these words today, but to internalize these things and to take these things with us today. That we would be people who walk, actively walk in the ministry of encouragement. People who proclaim the gospel to the lost world. People who remind ourselves and remind each other of the foundational Christian truths, even in musical worship. And people who rely on you, Holy Spirit, and give all the praise to Jesus when the work is done. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I pray that if any heart here today doesn't know you, that they would by the time they leave. And they'd be in personal relationship with you by the time they leave. God, we love you so much. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.